Welcome back to the Avery Ventures podcast. Uh, today on the show, I have Landon Michaels from Gunworks. Um, we go over two of their products, their BR4 rangefinder that they came out with last year and their new Nexus rifle system that they came out with last month. Um, the first two minutes had like this high pitched screech, so we kind of jumped right into the podcast. Um, Landon's asked, I asked Landon a question about uh, the evolution from the BR2 rangefinder to the BR4, and he's starting to answer that. So we didn't miss much. So here we go. It was a home run. I mean, it, it took off. It did really well. And, you know, we're, we're right now talking with customers who are still running their original units, trying to talk them into a new BR4 because it's that much that, that much newer and better. And it really is. But those old BR2s are still just rock solid. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's been, a, it's been a, uh, a good piece of the uh, business for us. And um, I know we've helped a lot of people make a lot of really good shots with those, <laughs> those tools over the years. Oh, absolutely. You know, in the BR4, a few of the things that are kind of highlights, I kind of wrote them down, the, the 10X magnification. I think you yeah. got nailed it with that. You know, everybody else runs, I think, seven-ish. Yeah, yeah. And when I first got it, I was like, man, this thing has much better magnification. Yeah, you are a little wobbly, but if you're going to take shots, you know, much over 500, you better get stable. You better either use, an, you know, kind of tripod adapter or put it on a spotter or something yeah. stable. Yeah, we put a quarter 20 thread adapter on the bottom there for a reason. Um, it really should be used on a tripod when possible. We understand that obviously in the field, you're not always going to have time to throw a, a rangefinder on a tripod. But it does, um, when you're when you're ranging that far, it does help just like with anything else to get a, a good steady rest. Um, but, you know, I think that's with us being a very uh, niche. I mean, we are 100% long range focused. Um, and being that niche, it allows us to focus our our product development a little bit more, you know, you look at SIG and, and all these other rangefinder companies, a lot of companies making great units out there. Um, but they're, they have to kind of play to the, the broad universal hunting and shooting market. And so not everybody needs or wants a, a 10 X rangefinder, especially when their average shot is two to 300 yards, uh, knowing that our customers and our products are tuned and kind of targeted to long range it makes more sense for us to be able to uh, make a product that is specifically for long range shooting. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense to put a 10 X uh, magnification on a, on a rangefinder at that point. Yeah, you definitely, and you, I, I was talking to Jeremy Winters when we were down there and he said there was a little, a little, you know, kind of a learning curve. You, you pretty much have to stabilize that thing at 10 or at, at you know, past 500 yards to get a good, you know, consistent reading before you take a shot. And I think it, I mean, it will range just fine. The problem yeah. is, is you just can't hold it steady enough to, it, it's so good. That you can't hold it steady enough to get a very consistent reading because, you know, you, you move that thing, uh, you know, it's like trying to take a thousand yard shot offhand. It's the same thing that that laser beam is doing the same thing as a bullet, essentially, as far as um, how much wobble you're getting at that range. And so you, you need, it, it definitely, um, especially if you're out in, uh, out in the flats where you get a lot of, uh, range variation with a very small angle change, uh, it's it's pretty important to get it stable. And sometimes that's just resting on top of the turret of your rifle. If you're laying prone, mm -hmm. uh, setting on a bag or backpack or leaning up against a tree, if you, if you don't have the time or the tools to set it on an actual dedicated tripod. Yeah, I don't do much antelope hunting, but I bet you it gets a little frustrating when it's flat as it's, a pancake trying to hit tricky. it. It's tricky. It's <laughs> tricky. I've been wanting to do a, a video to to explain this to people, but um, there is no better place to put a, 
a rangefinder to the test than than out in the antelope flats. I mean, you think about it. You know, I was. You know, this is kind of elementary thinking, I guess. But um, you know, you you take a like a mag light or something like that and lay it across a carpet and watch it shoot that that what was would normally be a really focused beam. Mm-hmm. Uh, spread that beam all the way across the carpet. You know, that's basically what you're doing when you're trying to use a rangefinder out in uh, in sagebrush flats and, and flat terrain like that is that beam can't concentrate on anything very well. And so uh, it gets really tricky. And, and like we said, getting stable helps. Um, also having a tuned uh, beam divergence helps a lot. And one of the very unique things about our rangefinders is we use a very low and a, and a wide uh, rectangular beam on a rangefinder, um, which happens to correlate with the typical size and shape of your big game animal, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the body, the, the, the center, center of mass on a big game animal. Uh, but also you think about it, that low beam um, now concentrates better on flat terrain um, and you're still getting a lot of uh, readout or data back with the wide touch on that. Um, So it works very, very well in hunting scenarios. Just so you're, we can kind of emphasize that, that if you take like the, the 8K SIG, it's like 0.2, you know, 0.2 tall, 1.2 tall and 0.2 wide. 0.25. Is it really? Yeah. Where yours is, I wrote this down. It's 0.2 wide or sorry 0.2 tall tall right sorry tall 0.2 tall 1.6 wide yeah so theirs is way taller so if you're shooting flat you are you're going to catch a bunch of the crap down below yeah over yours which is wide like an animal more horizontally than for an animal yeah yeah and you know you could go into the weeds on things like uh, targeting algorithms and things like that you know there's software inside those units that is um is analyzing the data that's coming back um you know it's it's not a an uh uh one-to-one relationship it's, it's not just a uh take a reading and, and take it back and spit it out it's getting multiple readings back and crunching that data and trying to give you the most usable uh result back um and uh our our, our laser partner that we work with to produce that rangefinder has some some pretty unique um software and i think quite a bit of ip on that that works very, very well in, in providing back a result that happens to be just right. <laughs> Seems right. like time and time again. So that in that reticle you guys have in there, that is the actual width, correct? That is the actual size of it? You know what? That's a good question. It, it should be. Um, I'm, not, I'm not speaking. Uh, I'll need to go back and, and confirm that for you, but I believe so. Well, if, if that's wrong, we'll blame Jeremy because he told there me. There we go. We'll blame him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, knowing knowing the, mind, the way Aaron's mind works, it, it should be exactly what, what your uh, laser is. Yeah, That's really cool if it is because it gives you a reference. Exactly. You know, you're not hitting any debris on that outside edge. You should be fine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, next thing I want to talk about is because we kind of did a comparison or review coming out with the, the SIG 8K, which I'm not bashing SIG. It's a great rainfinder. But – in operating temperatures, they don't have theirs listed. Yours is listed operating temperature negative four to 140 degrees. Uh-huh. And we have found, um, I, I don't really hit the upper extreme. It's more of the cold extreme where I do most of my hunting. And if we had yours out at 10 degrees at night against, the, we basically set them on the porch. It was 10 degrees out. 
We could not get the SIG to range past 300 yards. Yours ranged as far as we could when it was 40 to 50 degrees. So what are you guys doing different to keep that battery in check to be able to use the rangefinder at those lower temperatures? I'll be honest with you. I have no idea, but I know it freaking works. <laughs> you know, um, whatever our product guys did there testing and, and, and on the engineering side, um, you know, for one, uh, we're, we're in northern Wyoming. I mean, you know, we're hunting in 40 below sometimes and, in, in, you know, uh, in some of the harsh conditions we encounter up here. And so, you know, whatever worked in, in the BR2, the original rangefinders, um, you know, I think we kept a lot of that going and obviously added a lot of new functionality and features and, and sized it down quite a bit and powered it up. Uh, but yeah, the, the the battery thing, it's 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 always done well. And uh, we've never really, I, I can't think of a time I've ever had any issues with, um, with cold or heat uh, negatively in affecting the performance of the unit. No, it's, it's impressive. And it's, I think those kind of things matter because if you have a rangefinder that doesn't work, you don't have a rangefinder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty exactly. simple. Uh, angle, angle compensation. I wanted to kind of touch on this. I shot my best bear that I've ever shot this year and the shot was 450 yards, but it was also at a 28 to a degree angle. So it wow. was really yeah. steep. Right. And I shoot a lot on a flat range where I do my, my sight in and, and messing around and it's 450 yards and it calls, I believe, 1.8 mils at 450 yards. This shot was calling for 0.8, eight okay. tenths of a mil. And yeah. believe me, when I saw that, it was going through my mind. I'm like, is Aaron, is Aaron this smart? Am I going to <laughs> Yeah. How much do I trust Aaron's uh, yeah. engineering <laughs> brain? Yeah. Doesn't he go back to Gunray? He's like, has Aaron done this before? Is this going to work? Because this literally is this <laughs> over seven foot bear, which doesn't happen in Idaho. It's my best bear ever. I've been yeah. looking for a red bear. And I'm sitting there debating in my mind, God, I hope Gunworks has this right. <laughs> and later I cracked the shot off and I just seen him rolling down the hill. I hit him oh, man. a tiny bit high, but I had to put that on me, not the rangefinder. Wow. So wow. you had me take a whole mill off. Wow. And it yeah. was the right call. So yeah, it was right. That's yeah. good. It's good to hear. You know, I, I, and again, I'm not a ballistician, but um, whatever we've got uh, worked into that uh, that system, it, it freaking works. And, you know, I will say that um, we are running our own ballistic uh, program and algorithm. This is not, you know, a lot of what you see out there is um, people have found a couple uh, ballistic engines that work and essentially replicated and used those uh, over and over again. You know, you see a lot of a uh, lot of different businesses using uh, applied ballistics, and it's great. And I'm not going to knock applied ballistics, but we are running our own Revic ballistic engine. And uh, yeah, whatever secret sauce Aaron's got in there, it it works. Yeah, and but you guys also left enough room in there that you guys can kind of play around with, you know, your own custom curve stuff, and you can yeah, yeah. G1, G7, whatever you guys want to do. So you guys won't, didn't just shut it out and say this is the only profiles you can use. No, no, absolutely not. And and we we're a big fan of the uh, the custom drag curves when you can get them. You know, when you can get a, a Doppler file for for a bullet, they they generally they, they just work. You don't have to usually do a, a whole lot of truing with those. Um, you know, obviously, if you don't if you have a bullet that's not in that library, then running a G seven and doing a little bit of truing things usually line up pretty good. Gotcha. What is the actual on deer and elk size? targets you know non-reflective what is the actual number for that the BR4? you know you know there's so many we really try to avoid these um 
what I would call fluffy numbers. You know, there's a, a lot of businesses out there and, and I'm not, not in the business to, to knock people. Right. But, right. you know, we, we try to get into this idea of, I get it all the time with suppressors. Well, what's your, what's your decibel rating? I'm, I'm going to tell you flat out, if someone's giving you a decibel rating on a suppressor, they're lying to you because, because ultimately at the end of the day, you're, you're shooting a different caliber with a different load, a different barrel length with that can and every single rifle that you put could put that can on in the world is going to shoot differently. It's going to sound different, right? Your, your, your decibel rating. And so we just, we just don't try to claim a decibel rating because it's not going to be true. We we've tested against everything under the sun and we know that it's competitive. Um, and so your apples to apples comparison, we know that it's right in line with, with anything out there. Uh, but we're not going to give you a number because because it's not it's not a reliable number. Um, so rangefinders is a different animal, but at the same time, uh, it's so condition dependent that giving people a number is just a it's just a it's kind of like the whole uh, BC game that that bullet companies have played for so many years, and finally we've kind of you know uh, gotten over that a little bit. Um, started to learn that. BC is not an end-all be-all number. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I will say that, uh, you know, I've seen ranges on reflective targets out to about 4,000 yards with the BR-4. That's why we call it the BR-4. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, you know, out in the field, handheld or, or like real-world hunting conditions, um, I've seen easily 2,000 to 2,500 with that range finder. And you've probably got some experience you might uh, – have a little bit different number in your head, but, um, you know, that may not always be catching the animal, but it's catching, you know, if he's standing on the hillside, it's, it's catching brush and trees and whatever else I can, uh, around him and, and behind him. Um, but I feel like I'm pretty effective in hunting scenarios out to that, you know, 2000 to 2,500 range. Yeah. I would, like I told you when I was doing it with the, uh, the pre, the early model before they were out, I was shooting cows, a place where I hike, we can shoot down, on the flatlands, we can shoot cows, and I had no problem hitting them at 23, 24, 20, sometimes 2,800 yards. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would say you're exactly right, which for most people, unless you're into the you know ELR game, is totally perfect. Exactly, more- yeah. You know, it's, it's, we're to the point where most rangefinders are, are able to shoot well past what we need for hunting scenarios. It, it becomes maybe a tool for navigating as much as anything you know, I, I'd like to get to that ridge. Oh man, that's two miles away. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah. Another thing that is, you know, people always put, compare things against, you know, applied ballistics and I have my Kestrel all the time. So I always compare them and pretty much whether it's, you know, past 500 to out as far as a range finder go, it's within a 10th of a mil. So it's pretty much runs. I mean, math is math, yeah. I guess, you know, input, yeah. good inputs in, good and pit out so exactly yeah and then i want to talk about you guys when i before i had a i had a pre rangefinder before they came out and uh they're talking about price and you guys you know asked to put the prices down what, what's this thing worth and i put down eight anything under fifteen hundred dollars you're just giving it away right right and uh so what's the actual price well the street price is 1300 ish is that right I mean, it's 1385 i'm looking it up while i'm on here because i might have forgotten already but i think it's 1385 is where it's at or 1285 actually so i stand by that i stand by that anything under 1500 bucks <laughs> you're giving it away for everything we, we, in there 
we got that quite a bit in that survey that we did. It was like uh, we were we felt we were worried that we were underpricing it. Um, you know, and it obviously came in less than our old BR two, which you know it's it's clearly a better unit. Um, but you know, the way technology is going, things are getting cheaper to produce. You know, we can produce this for less than the original uh, BR two, and so we're going to pass some of that on to uh, everybody. You know, I. Um, I'm, I'm sure we've been uh, accused of scalping more than more than once. At, you know, guys getting used to uh, the prices that we ask for a rifle. But um, you know, if, if we can if we can provide a good product to their customers and and uh, make a living at the end of the day, then we're gonna we're gonna pass that on. And that's true. Nothing right now is cheaper to make. <laughs> yeah. For right. some reason, it's more expensive, even if it's not. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. It's a good excuse to to call it that anyway. So. Yeah. You guys, you guys are misunderstanding, apparently. <laughs> Guess we didn't get the memo. We didn't get the memo. So if you can explain one thing, one, one question that always comes up I see on Rockside and other places is what is – so I'm kind of putting you on the spot. What is the sure. difference between the, your base wind and then being able to put in you know, any wind you want? Can you kind of just give like a sure, jump-down sure. explanation of that? You know, uh, Aaron just wrote a blog post for, the, for about that uh, this morning, so we'll have that live here in probably the next week or two. Uh, I'll encourage you guys to go take a look at that. But essentially, um, Aaron's got this concept of a base wind that, that I really, really like. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of us, our brains work that way. Um, and essentially, if you look at our old BR2 rangefinder, uh, it was a little bit more rudimentary in its wind capabilities. You would essentially plug in, uh, it gave you an option to choose a five, a 10, a 15 or 20 mile per hour wind. And the assumption was that, okay, if your wind is seven miles per hour, you just kind of split the difference between your five and your 10 output and you're good or, or take, you know, whatever else you're extrapolating just a little bit there. Um, generally speaking in a high pressure scenario where you've got to move quick, that works really well. And so we programmed the BR4. Uh, we also, our, our PMR smart uh, rank, our, our smart scope, rifle scope does the same thing where you can program it and tell it, you know what, I'm, let's give it just a 10 mile per hour wind. So it'll always give me a wind hold for a 10 mile per hour, whatever settings or range it's set to. Um, so I can make a really quick shot uh, uh, when, when the need arises, essentially. Um, if the wind's half that, I'll just half the wind hold and, and run with it. Um, with the vector wind, um, if you've got time, um, if you want to get really fancy with your wind calculation, um, say you're out of the range doing some ELR stuff and, and you, know, you don't have a big buck walking over the ridge or something like that, uh, then you can dial in. Uh, we've got a, a wind rosette built into the system where you can choose the exact direction that your wind's coming from and the exact uh, velocity of the wind. So you could put in a, you know, a, a 17 mile per hour coming from two o'clock and it's going to give you a much more fine-tuned wind hold. And so having both available in the unit uh, is, is really handy because some scenarios you got to just be quick and good enough and some scenarios you want to get really uh really fine-tuned with it yeah that's pretty simple and to the point i like it yeah um those things are available there's no back order there's no supply chain issues you can no. get one today no and that's I, I i hear that's a uh not a common occurrence right now <laughs> but yeah we've, we've not had any issues with them so they're they're on the shelf ready to go again with not getting the memo 
I guess we didn't get the memo. No, uh, no we've, we're constantly working on this vertical integration thing. You know, I think we, Aaron got burned back in 2012 with the, the last big component shortage. And so I think we've really made it a, a, a business-wide mission to vertically integrate, to, to be a, a little bit more self-sufficient in, in producing some of our products. And it also goes to working directly with a lot of our vendors. You know, we cut out a lot of the middlemen and work directly with our, our places that we're building and sourcing products. So helps in that regard. All right. If we haven't checked it out, go check out the Revic BR4 Rangefinder. Yeah. All right, switching gears to the to the the more exciting. I mean, the Rangefinder is really exciting, but this yeah this thing to me and, and the, the rifle always catches eyeballs, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. The Nexus rifle. Give us the rundown. So the Nexus rifle um, is is the latest rifle we just launched. Gunworks, um, very much a departure from what we've been doing for the last. 15 years essentially on rifle systems. And it's it's really the culmination of all the work that Aaron's put into this business for, for the last 15 years. Um, you know, we started out like a lot of businesses building, um, assembling, I should say, a, a nice custom rifle. You know, we're buying a, a stiller action back early in the day and a, and a stock from McMillan or whoever else was building stocks those days and a barrel from any of a, a hundred different vendors that we've worked with and and build really great barrels um, and essentially s assembling that rifle from those components um, uh, over the years we've worked on designing our own action uh, you know that was what probably 2016 2017 we came out with glr uh, started producing our own stocks in-house um, I think that was 2017 or 18. So we're working on bringing all these different pieces in-house and designing our, you know, we've always designed our own products, but also producing them as well. Um, and so the nexus is essentially our nexus into this um, uh, kind of the future of, of long range and uh, gun works is building that entire rifle from the ground up. So it is a, a complete departure from Remington 700. You know, there's a, the 700 platform is great. It's very ubiquitous. There's a lot of uh, aftermarket support for it, but there are some limitations in what you can do with the Remington 700 platform. And so with the Nexus, we departed from that. We're using a, uh, an aluminum receiver, full diameter bolt, um, interchangeable barrels. And so there's, there's just a lot going on there that makes it much more customizable, much more modular, and much more future-proof as far as new technologies and new cartridges and uh, new fun stuff that's coming down down the road. So, yeah, you uh, you skipped over a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't done. I was taking a breath. I, oh, I, sorry. I, sorry. I, sorry. Were we saying something about rambling earlier on? No, you were not no. rambling at all. <laughs> so. Um, uh, you know, it's uh, essentially, again, it's it's from the ground up. So the Nexus stock uh, are kind of our, our nomenclature. Uh, we named the model after the stock. And so the Nexus stock uh, designed from the ground up, used a lot of the winning geometry that we've had in the Climber, the Magnus rifles over the last few years. I know you've been a real big fan of the Climber stock uh, that you guys have had for a couple of years. Um, so negative comb on there, carbon fiber layup. Um, uh, enhanced a little bit more vertical on the grip and uh, we added some leather into it which has been somewhat polarizing for a lot of people I'll, I'll be honest personally I was not a fan at first um, I think it's growing on me and it's growing a lot on a lot of people um, 
we're not the first company to put leather on a stock. And uh, it, it actually is not just a, a, an aesthetic thing. It, it is a functional thing. You think about it, um, these the carbon fiber is absolutely the best material, at least out there right now, to build a, a stock from. And um, it has a lot of advantages, but one of the disadvantages is it's kind of slick. Um, it, it doesn't uh, give a really good uh, skin to to stock feel. And so uh, adding a little bit of leather on the grip and a little bit of leather on the cheek piece, um, it will it will wear, it provides some some good uh, grip and interface with the stock. Um, and it will kind of um, break in to fit you and your hand and and um, kind of show some some wear and some scars and some history too. there's there's actually, I mean, you know, it, obviously it will wear and scuff and, and scratch if you beat it up a little bit, um, but it will show some of that that love and some of the memories of those hunts. Um, so, you know, and, and it is serviceable. So, you know, it does get get beat up and you want a nice, fresh set of leather on there. We can we can uh, swap that out anytime pretty easily. So it's it's very weatherproof. I mean, uh, you've seen probably they've been making phone cases and all sorts of stuff with with some of this uh, high tech leather. For years so it's it it's not gonna crack and peel or anything like that on you if it gets a little bit of rain on it but yes, very like it's comes looks more like uh you know europeans the european yeah. leather on stuff before yeah yeah there's a, definitely a few out there that you know the yeah anyway there's a few few out there that have been doing it um so you know with that vertical grip we've got uh an adjustable trigger shoe that um is a big deal um, we were able to go more vertical on the grip on that stock because of the adjustable trigger shoe. And if you think about the climber stock that you've got, it's it's much more of a swept grip. And what that it works great for big and small hands, but it's because a person is able to choke up and adjust the position of their hand on that grip um, to basically to reach the trigger and, and fit your hand perfectly. Right? We've got that nice little thumb shelf there on the side to kind of index your thumb. Uh, discourage people wrapping and and kind of over torquing the rifle when they're shooting. Um, with that more vertical grip, um, the challenge is some people have to reach or crowd the trigger um, based on because your hand fits in the same place on the grip every single time. So the solution that our engineers came up with is essentially being able to move slide that trigger shoe forward and backward to fit the size of your hand. Um, and so it's kind of the best of both worlds um, scenario there. Um, action wise, I mentioned it's aluminum. Um, you know, that's a, a, a big deal. Uh, I think something like 85% of the world's titanium supply comes from uh, Russia. Mm -hmm. So you're going to see a lot of people having a hard time getting titanium here very, very quickly. Uh, titanium is also uh, very prone to galling. And so, you know, we've, we've found ways to produce titanium actions over the years that have done very well and avoided that challenge, but it's also always something you have to worry about. Uh, they're never quite as slick as a, as a steel action. Uh, so with aluminum, you know, we're using 7075 aluminum. It's, it's very, very strong. It's, you know, don't think that this is some cheap, um, soft, mushy, not durable uh, action. It's uh, very, very impervious to to weather and it's pretty strong stuff. Um, and then we've done a type three hard anodize on it. And so I can't remember the Rockwell hardness, but it, it ends up very close on the on the surface to steel. And 
the added benefit is very, very slick. So that action cycles really nicely. That aluminum is like considered aircraft quality, right? That's what yeah, I mean, aircraft grade is kind yeah. of a buzzword, but it, it yeah. essentially is, yeah. Gotcha. Um, so you got the action. I want to, are you done yet? I didn't want to mess you up. <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm not a big talker, so I feel like I'm just kind of talking your ear off. But, no, you're um, fine. You know, with the interchangeable barrels, obviously, I think that's one of the most exciting things for me is, um, you know, I could build a 6.5 PRC and, you know, if I've got an elk hunt or moose hunt coming up and I feel like that's a little light, it's really easy to swap that out for a 300 PRC barrel or, you know, we'll have a, a, a lots of different options going forward from there. That's kind of the starting point for us for barrels. Um, you know, obviously interchangeable bolt heads to match that. And so, you know, it'd be really nice down the road to be able to run a, a Creedmoor for a training gun. I'm not a big Creedmoor guy, but, you know, for just uh, putting lots of rounds down range all summer long, it's a, it's pretty great for how easy ammo is to come by, at least in, in normal times and how cheap it is to shoot and then pull out the big boy, you know, once fall hits so you can actually go kill some stuff with it. Yeah, you got like some Yahoo there that loves a six five cream one <laughs> doing energy drink reviews and yeah, shit. yeah. We need to get Dustin on here, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we like to razz razz each other a little bit, but I mean we shoot a lot of Creedmoor. This isn't a Creedmoor episode, obviously, but we shoot a lot of Creedmoor in the shooting school. It's a it's a great round for for what it's designed for, but not usually our first choice for hunting. And on that stock, you guys also made it very tripod friendly. Yeah, yeah, I missed that. I guess is uh, essentially what we did is the bottom metal uh, is a is a full length piece of aluminum now, um, and so it's integrated with the bottom metal. Uh, it's a full length arca, and then it's got a, a, a Picatinny bipod rail machined on the end, and that's integrated into the stock or or affixed to the stock. And so it's kind of all all one piece. Um, the magazine, you know, we've generally preferred uh, hinged floor plate magazines for hunting. Um, and use a wide length box uh, in everything we do so we can load big bullets out far. And again, that's one of those challenges that you run into with Remington 700 is you're limited to magazine length. And so with this new platform, we're able to um, get a lot more magazine length, a lot, a lot more uh, room there. Um, we use a detachable magazine that is flush fit. So you're not getting a, you know, a lever or um, a release or even the magazine itself sticking down below the, the rifle itself. And so it's very smooth. It's not catching on pack straps. You can lay it on bags easily. Um, and we get a double stack uh, full length magazine in there. We can load those bullets out as long as we can. Uh, we've got even got shoulder support inside the magazine. And so you're not worried about recoil, pushing those bullet tips forward and mashing the tips of the bullets inside your magazine. Um, so some, some pretty nice features there as well. All right. Um, before I get into my like favorite things, we, we got me and Tanya went down. We had a sneak peek of it. We got to shoot it. Um, I want to have Tanya talk a little bit about she's my bullshit detector on guns because I can get <laughs> guns and I can shoot them, you know, relatively OK. Tanya is a little more finicky on what she likes and. She, when you were shooting it down there, what was your thoughts? Oh, I thought I was really comfortable. And I don't really say that very often, actually, because he'll usually build a gun that's super great for himself and then, like, <laughs> throw me on it and then be pissed off that I don't like it. So that's usually how we roll. But, um, yeah, no, I, I, I felt like it was really comfortable. We're supposed to review um, 
another gun and I'm like, can we do this one? Can we just, <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure, um, exactly which, um, elements of the gun made it comfortable. I didn't really have that much time with it. Um, but you know, like the adjustable trigger and, and things like that, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, I can speak to which of the elements of it made it comfortable or like the, the cheek piece being not slippery because it had leather. I don't, I don't know, but um, it just was super easy to get on the targets and hit the targets. And I think the guy that was spotting for me was actually kind of shocked. <laughs> I'm not sure why. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I liked it a lot. The thing she came away with as soon as she got off it, she went out and she shot five, I think it's five, seven. And then she went right to, is that 1150 out there? 11. Yeah, I think so. Was, and yeah. She went right out. She missed the 11, the first shot and she changed a little bit on magnification. Then she hit it the next. Is that correct? Yeah. I was like, yeah. oh, well, I, um, yeah, I, actually, I think it was two shots before I changed the magnification. Cause for some reason, I don't know why I thought it was all the way up, but it was not. And then I, you know, turned it all the way up because I'm right. I'm blind. I've had cataract surgery, <laughs> yeah. so um, that's still um, I haven't done very much shooting since I've gotten those surgeries, and I'm still you know um, remembering all the things that Ryan has told me to do. So I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, let me just adjust this magnification, and then I was like, oh dang, yeah, that's like way better. <laughs> I hit it after that, but yeah, I was I was impressed. Well, nice. as soon as she came off, it and we were riding back, getting the ride back to your guys' uh, headquarters, she was like. That's the easiest gun I've ever shot. Yeah. yeah. Usually yeah. I have to mess with it quite a bit to make it feel comfortable. And I I didn't like feel like I had to do anything to change it. To, so I don't know if you guys just set it up for me. And that was really nice. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, good, but anyway. No, it's good. There's something about the the ergonomics there. I mean, we've obviously put a lot into, into the... Um, the science behind the lines and the geometry of those stocks, but um, you know, it's the handling, it's also the recoil and it's the handling um, or the recovery after the recoil. Uh, there's, there's some really great things that are happening there. And, and I don't, I, I honestly think it surprised our engineers how much better it was than even the Magnus, because we didn't really think we could improve on the Magnus that much, but um, mm -hmm. did you guys shoot the six fives or did you shoot the 300? Both. Do you remember both? Yeah. People you shot, she shot the six, five. I shot both. Yeah. I mean, I mean a six, five is a great round, you know, put a good break on there. It can usually manage recoil really well. I think a lot of people were absolutely astounded at how well it handled the, the 300 PRC. Yeah. Um, so yeah, pretty excited about that. Well, in my, I'll just touch on the things that just off the top of my head, then that's kind of like my favorite. Um, I will say this, and I hate to use the word best. I know I've heard you say that before too, Lanny. You used the word best on it. Right. But I've had the climber stock for two years, and I've had a lot of stocks that I've had in my life messed around with a shot. The climber stock is the most comfortable stock that I have ever used until I didn't get to play with it much, but the biggest difference to me was the vertical grip change from the climber yep. to the Nexus stock. Yeah, yeah. And it's subtle, and it's it, you would think it doesn't matter, but to me, it just made it feel just a little more natural. And having that movable, adjustable trigger, however you want it, it's a the actual trigger moves back and forth in the trigger shoe. So yes, yes, if you have little fingers like me, I have short hands. I, my wife's hands and my hands are the same size. I have little hands, 
that rifle fits just about perfect. And when I was yeah. shooting the 300 PRC, even at 500 yards, I was spotting my own shots and it was, it just got easier the farther, obviously it went out, but right. can't take a lot of rifles. Can't especially suppress. Cause it, there was no break. They're both suppressed. Yeah, they're suppressed. Yeah. Yep. So you get that long, you know, you know, that recoil pulse is long. Yeah. So you got to stay and kind of fight the gun. I spotted all, all my hits, I believe, except for one. I think I shot like 14, 15 rounds and it, the, your stock design I don't know how you get it any better than the Nexus. And I thought the climber was it, but yeah. you know, I do have to choke up a little bit on the climber to where on the Nexus, I didn't have to choke up at all. And I don't right. know what you guys did with the carbon, but that thing is stiff. Just how you want a stop. Yeah. 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 yeah I thought I was going to have to write you guys a check because I couldn't get them off that gun. I'm like, okay, <laughs> so now do, do we well, need to have them wrap it right up here yeah, or they, what? Yeah, and then I kept trying to tell the guys they need to do a giveaway, and they didn't. You know, you know they didn't want to do that. But someone didn't get the memo. Yeah. <laughs> you guys really gotta check your emails or something. Yeah, no kidding. And I know you're on here. We're, I'm not trying to butter you up. I do believe the climber stock. I've I've told tons of people this was my favorite stock. That Nexus stock. Yeah. It's just the negative comb. The uh, you know the, now with the more vertical grip. If nobody's never, if you've never shot a negative comb, you're missing out as far as on the recoil side, staying in the gun and spotting your own hits. Because I was like, yeah, you were telling me about it early on when you guys made the climber and the Magnus and all that. But until you actually get on a, a recoil, you know, that, that 375 we were shooting out there, I was spotting my hits with the 375 Ruger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that, you shot a 375 Ruger and that gun can't weigh but nine pounds. It has some wallop. Yeah, yeah, it does. Sure. I was still spotting my own hit, so yeah. I can't say enough about the stock you guys make. So, I mean, I would love to see one without the mini chassis, but that's an argument for another day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know that that's one that uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a tough sell because because Aaron and and I, I can't tell you he's wrong because the guy is way smarter than I am, but uh, you know it, it's. Um, it adds a little bit of weight. We've managed to find places to reduce weight elsewhere. Um, but with the kind of investment we have in CNC machining um, and the kind of tolerances we're able to hold with those uh, those blocks internal of the stock, uh, we're able to get the effects of a glass bedding um, without a lot of the negative uh, drawbacks to, to doing that. Um, and especially building rifles that we're, we try to build consistent and repeatable you know we want one rifle to shoot and handle the same as the next as the next is the next they need to shoot our ammunition consistently in every single one of them having that um that consistent bedding block in there um uh provides a a you know one rifle it's like going to mcdonald's you know <laughs> comparing mcdonald's to mcdonald's you know what you're getting every single time, right? Right. It's the it's the same thing every single time. Rather than, you know, a lot of custom gunsmiths building beautiful rifles, but they're every, every single rifle is different and handles different and, and shoots different and have, have you generally has to have a different load to shoot because you get some variation in in that uh, product to product to product uh, result, I guess. Yes, my wife loves Starbucks, and I'm like, yes, call me coffee. She's like, yeah, it's the same every freaking time. <laughs> I don't understand yeah. when we're traveling and we're, like, driving across the United States, and I'm like, can we just find a Starbucks? Because if I'm going <laughs> to pay $4 for a cup of coffee, I want it to taste the same. And Yeah, like, yeah, I know what I'm getting. Yeah. I know exactly what I'm getting. They know exactly what to do. We're all on the same page. I don't have to be mad about wasting $4. Yeah. 
I'll say the, on the trigger, what uh, you guys make everything on this rifle except for the trigger. What trigger is it? It's a trigger tech. And okay. we worked, we worked specifically with trigger tech to, to design that trigger. And, you know, hopefully Aaron's got something in there where that trigger is not going to show up in every other gun <laughs> under the sun here in the next couple of years, but it may. I but imagine he does. It works. It works well. So. And how much adjustment is there? Is there in the actual, not the trigger weight, but the actual moving of the trigger? How much? I think, I think it's actually half the inch forward wow. and backward. So it's, it's a, a plenty. Um, yeah. More than really anyone's going to need. All right. On the action, probably the most, probably newest, you know, I have a bat action that's aluminum, you know, and there's been others, but it has a steel insert. You guys want a different route. You want more, I would, you know, it's not the same as like an AR route, but it's similar to it's how a similar AR. concept yeah yeah so we're using a, a barrel extension much like an ar and so there's a piece of uh, steel stainless steel that screws onto the barrel um and that that uh, barrel extension is what controls all the lockup of the, the the bolt and so we've got a 65 degree bolt throw um so it's a basically a three lug action um with with all the lockup happening between the bolt head and the barrel extension itself and so what that does is um it, it essentially relieves the the receiver of a lot of its normal duties in a standard um bolt action receiver and so really all it has to do is kind of hold the bolt in place um, because all the other pressures and and everything happening that's uh, relevant to the rifle firing and and controlling pressures is happening inside the, the bolt extension itself. Um, so I, again, go ahead. I imagine you've tried to blow it up. Oh yeah. In fact, and I, we went and did a video. Um, engineers were like, all right, we're, we're, the plan was to fail a rifle. Maybe, I don't know if I'm supposed to share the story or not. <laughs> okay. So it was like, all right, well, I got to see this. We're, we're, we're taking the camera. It's like, we probably don't want to show people actually blowing up a gun, but we want to test this thing. Right. So we went out and they had these fancy, like uber high pressure loads. And um, we literally did a squib. Don't, do not try this at home. Yeah, don't, <laughs> be, don't be an idiot. Don't, don't do this at home. Okay. Um, but we did a squib load. We, we uh, pounded a, a bullet into the, to the bore of the rifle and got these high pressure rounds. And, you know, we rigged up this whole big fancy system um uh to to measure basically you know see what happens because you know a, a squib load plus around like you're going to blow you're that kind of blow the barrel up. right and um so you know they had this whole fixture you know they were going to remote you know pull it with a string from behind the hill we've got you know uh, our out of our range here it's public or private property so you know we can do it all safely and anyway we had gopros and the whole nine yards you know we're all excited to see this thing explode and literally it went bang and nothing happened <laughs> <laughs> and it was kind of kind of uh, uh anticlimactic uh the bolt was we had to kind of uh, pound the bolt open uh, to get the bolt back but it i think it broke an extractor and um i'm sure that bore was was not really uh salvageable but the rifle held together amazingly mm -hmm. so again this is not a a proof that it will every time if you try to do a squib load, but uh, right. do not do not try this at home. But it did very well at the test. Another another guy's from Rockside. Another guy was I was reading through the Nexus thing and it said, "Have you guys dropped? You know, has it been dropped much because the barrel extension could it come loose or could something come loose on the switch barrel?" 
No, not a chance. And, um, you know, I, I was personally kind of worried about that too and asking the, the engineers because it seems like, okay, you know, you, you essentially you slide that barrel in into the receiver. Um, uh, it's got a little indexing pin, a lot like an AR does. Um, so you slide that barrel in and you essentially just tighten two screws to clamp it into there. Um, you know, and I had this concern, is it going to come kind of pull apart eventually? Mm -hmm. Well, you're actually using one of your action screws is coming from underneath into the underside of that, uh, entire system as well. And so, um, the way that, uh, the, the clamp with the barrel and the barrel extension receiver, plus your action screw and your wedge below it's, it's holding zero and, and staying together very well. It's, it's not coming apart at all. I'd imagine you guys put her through it, through its pace. Yeah. 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 Uh, aluminum. This is actually I was talking to somebody else on. I think it was Instagram. Was the TI action moving away from it because of you know the supply chain, or were you guys always headed towards that aluminum action side? We were always headed. It, it's kind of a, a correlation of a couple of different good op, good things at once, right? Um, we were headed towards aluminum anyway because essentially this new new design was going to allow us to to utilize aluminum. So it's it's definitely not a next best kind of scenario. This is the mm -hmm. the right the right product for this um, for this design. Um, that being said, like I, I mentioned, um, uh, titanium becoming very difficult to come by just supply chain and worldwide uh, with current uh, events. Uh, that is just a very very opportune thing. Um, a, titanium is very expensive to machine. Obviously, the raw materials are very expensive. Um, so aluminum is a lot easier to come by. It's a lot easier to machine. Um, and, it, and in this case, the way this product is designed, it's not an inferior material uh, in the least. And so it's just kind of a, a all, you know, one, two, three punch there. Best across the board. Gotcha. And on the action, two things I wanted to, it's a, uh, it's all integrated. It has integrated rail, integrated um, yes. lug. And it's yep. what's the throw, 60-ish degree throw? I think it's 65. 65 degrees that's yeah. cool and it's a six lug right is that right yeah 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 so it's basically two sets of three lug yeah yeah it's kind of it's a cool concept i hope you guys patent it or people will be trying to copy it i think there's a few patents in in there and i'm not on the ip side thing uh things but um yeah i know there's definitely a few uh very unique uh, uh pieces there that that they've managed to get some patents filed for so a uh, no BS time frame as far as if you swip, swap the bolt or swap the barrels and you had to, uh, you know, say you swap the bolt head, how long does it take? You know, uh, we're scheduled to, to do a video on that. So we'll find out once we shoot <laughs> it. Um, so I don't have any like hard numbers for you, but my best guess, I mean, you do have to remove the stock, right? So you're going, you, you're going to need a, uh, you know, some kind of a torque limiting wrench that you can mm -hmm. control your torque with. Uh, but you're going to pop that stock off. That's three screws. Um, you're going to uh, loosen those two uh, T25 screws on the action, pop in your new stock or your new barrel, and then reattach your stock. So, I, you know, 10 minutes max. I mean, th that would be very, very um, liberal, I think, with that. I I'm sure if you were wanted to time yourself and do it fast, five minutes could be done. But it's, it's just nothing. It's like it's, it's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you'll want to check zero and whatever else. Um, but, uh, you know, I think I, I have not run the whole system with multiple barrels yet, but I think essentially once I do, I think it'd be very simple to 
kind of map your zero, right? I mean, I, mm-hmm. one of the benefits is you can put the same scope on, uh, basically have two rifles with one scope and one receiver. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, this we all know the scope is the most expensive part of the whole setup. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think what be. I would do is, right, right. <laughs> but, um, you know, I would map my zeros. And so I know, you know, when I switch from my 6.5 to my 300, I got to move two minutes over and a minute up and I'm zeroed again. And, you know, I obviously would confirm that, um, but it would be pretty easy to swap back and forth at that point. And so that thing headspace off that pin, it is basically off the index pin. Is that how is it headspaces or how do I have that? Uh, So the headspace is all controlled. If you think about it, your bolt head is locking up inside of that barrel extension. So all the headspace is controlled with your bolt head and the barrel and barrel extension itself. And so, um, there's really no headspace other than that, that, uh, that barrel fits in, uh, seats perfectly up against the, uh, face of the action there. Um, and that pin just helps you index the, you know, turn it the the right way every single time. Gotcha. So. All right. And I don't, you have to forgive. I don't remember if it was you or Aaron I was talking to, but you guys, like in just watching on Rockslide, you get you know, we get a lot of data in it, and it seems like people, not everybody, but as a whole, are kind of like either stale on carbon barrels or moving away from carbon barrel from carbon barrels. Then you guys are moving towards more carbon barrels. Absolutely, yeah. And you guys make them all in house now. Can you guys kind of update on that? We do. Again, you know uh, that vertical integration thing. So uh, barrels is is kind of the very last piece of that big vertical integration push that we've been making. And obviously there'll be more down the road, but um, that was the last piece that was really hanging there that we needed to bring in house control. You think about it, uh, there's a lot of great guys making barrels out there. You know, we've used every, just about every one of them out there. And, uh, but eventually at some point, supply chain issues, COVID, you know, this, these last couple of years have been a perfect example. It's just impossible to get stuff in mm-hmm. any volume, in any reasonable period of time, reliably, and in the quality that you need. And so, you know, you get a barrel order in, and we're producing a decent number of guns. You know, you're a year out on the order, and then it shows up six months late, and then you get, you know, a, a, a few units out of that order that's out of spec, and you're dead in the water. We can't build rifles for customers. And so um, th- that's been a big... Um, not a thorn in our side, but it's it's been a, a big priority for us to bring that in-house. We essentially at this point uh, order a piece of bar stock, right? And it's and it's one skew that we have to source rather than, you know, uh, a 6.5 and a 6 and a 30 in this twist rate and this length. You know, there's there's hundreds of skews that we have to stock to, to maintain all of these different options for barrels versus now we order a whole bunch of bar stock and we drill and ream and rifle and cut it to length. And we basically can build any barrel we want um, on the fly uh, on demand, basically. And if it's a bad barrel, we were, we're the only ones to blame. So hmm. it, uh, it, I think it's, it's going to be a, a huge, huge piece of our, of our growth going forward. And, and it's, it, it doesn't just benefit us. It benefits our customers in lead times and quality and everything else. So everything. So you're just getting those the bar stock, and then on your carbon barrels, you're contouring them down and wrapping them. Yep, yep, yep. So it starts as a, a piece of bar stock. We we drill, ream, rifle, um, turn it down, and then uh, carbon wrap. So wow. you are the only person to blame. 
<laughs> we are the only person to blame. That's right. So what is that percentage between, not, obviously not with the Nexus, but just how many carbon barrels to steel barrels do you know? Um, you know, as of the last couple of years, we're almost not even building steel barrels anymore. Really? And they, they became such low demand that we kind of, part of it is we kind of cut them from the lineup because, you know, at some point, if nobody wants them, we're not we're not going to waste our time trying to stock that SKU and, and, and build rifles for it. And so... Uh, at this point, I think all of our core rifle systems are carbon wrap barrels. Um, you know, we do build a steel barrel in the skull in that dangerous game 375 that you shot because we <laughs> want a little bit of extra weight in that barrel to to handle some recoil. But other than that, essentially everything we're doing right now is carbon wrapped. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, on that same note, you guys have a different way of testing your rifles for accuracy. Can you kind of go over? And I actually totally agree with. What sure. you guys doing? The seven shot group, yep. order minute. Yep. Can you kind of tell us your process? So you know the the big question everybody asks is, oh, what's your uh, MOA guarantee? And you know I've kind of gotten on my soapbox uh, already a, a little bit about um, uh, giving people numbers that are not really uh, accurate, and um, that's another one of these things that we just kind of try to avoid the gimmicks. Um, you know, uh, we all know that a, a three-shot group doesn't really mean anything other than a, a nice pat on the back. And um, uh, ultimately, what matters is uh, consistency shot to shot to shot. So we do, essentially, we don't do a, we don't advertise a accuracy guarantee or anything like that. What it is, is we shoot every single rifle that goes out our door. Um, we, we simply don't send out a gun that doesn't get shot. And so um, we're doing a little bit of barrel break-in and, and some precision testing on that rifle is obviously uh, function testing as well. And so um, our standard is seven shots inside uh, three-quarter minute. And, you know, three-quarter minute doesn't sound impressive until you realize the statistical significance of a seven-shot group. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a statistician, but essentially your um, orders of magnitude uh, better um, statistically speaking with seven shot group. So essentially if it doesn't shoot, uh, it's not going out the door, it goes back and gets reworked or gets scrapped or whatever else. Um, but if, if you're getting a rifle from us, it's, it's shot that uh, before it went and out. It's two consecutive, right? You say two That's right. seven yeah. shot groups um, under three quarter minute. I, I would, anybody out there, you know, kind of balking at this, I would take your quarter minute, Half all day, all day, right? Yeah. <laughs> all day, every day. When I do my part, yes, you're, this is what you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> Go shoot a seven shot group with that, you yeah. know, point three quarter, whatever gun you, your, your accurate rifle. Go shoot one, and if you're honest, tell me the response. You'll be amazed at what you actually shoot. You know how many guys do you see? Oh yeah, that that flyer, that one was me. I, mm -hmm. I pulled the trigger on that one. Well, did you really? Because it's not hard to shoot. You know, everybody's different, but it's not hard to shoot a, a half minute to three quarter minute group with a gun that actually shoots and, uh, you know, with the right setup and everything else. And, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people that try to claim those, uh, those flyers are them. It's not actually them. Yes. So with that test, do you, do you start with the, is that like a cold like start with the cold bore and and um that's one of the big things that's important to us is um zero cold bore shift now every rifle is going to to do something when you get it really hot and you know because 
we're sending out a $10,000 rifle to a guy. We're not trying to burn out the barrel. So we are careful when we're shooting those. We're not shooting a hot seven fast seven shot consecutive group. But what we are looking for is any kind of um, significant shift from Cold War to um, uh, through the group. And, you know, uh, pr producing or, or sourcing or producing a quality barrel that's properly stress relieved you shouldn't see any of that. And, and frankly, I mean, I'm not just saying this, I've, I've never seen one of our rifles walk. Um, After you first round of seven, do you let it cool off? And we then, do. Yeah. And how long and do, do you do it again? Um, I don't know the timing and it, it, and frankly, at that point, it's probably, you know, they might be the guy doing the testing might be testing two rifles that day. Maybe he shoots a group, grabs the next gun, shoots a group and, you know, alternates to be able to, to, uh, do a throughput. I don't know that there's any specific timing between those two groups, but long enough. Yeah. Long enough. Yeah. All right. Last couple questions. What's the actual weight? Let's go with the six, five PRC will probably be the most popular. What is the weight of that thing? So I know, um, I should have an, an exact number. We were aiming for under seven pounds with, with that rifle. And I think it, with the six, five PRC, you're probably coming in at seven pounds, three ounces, if I remember right. Um, so there are lighter guns out there, you know, that we're not building and, and uh, building this rifle as a, uh, as an ultralight. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, with a, with a hunting weight scope on there, you're going to be pretty darn manageable. And I'll, I'll add to it, just having it in my hands, it's super balanced. Yes. It's, yes. it's not front end heavy. It's not back end heavy. It's about perfect. You know, I, it's, this is just coming to my mind as we're speaking, but I wonder if some of that has to do with the aluminum action on top. You think about it, it's so much less top heavy at that point. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you had a steel or even a titanium action, a lot of that weight's up high um, with the aluminum up high. I don't know. That, that might have something to do with that balance. Hmm. Never thought about that. Yeah. So the price point, what is the – oh, go ahead. I thought oh. this was going to be our last question. So I, no, I said last few. Oh, I saw some. I saw some eyes roll in there. I was, I was like, "What did I say?" <laughs> the last question is never the last question. It's like the the fourth to the last. Maybe yeah. the, I. I almost thought in my mind. Oh, that should be the the panty dropper. But I meant the mic drop <laughs> question. Oh, the, okay. What is the price point? All right. Um. And again, I should have all my stuff ready here. Huh? Um, I think it comes at in at 53. Let me double check here. I got a website open. Here. It's a shocking number. You know, uh, again. In the um, other way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Aaron, Aaron's mentioned, you know, we, we did this video. If you guys have seen the video that we did is, you know, we're, we're not shy about the price of our guns. Um, you know, they, they're, they're not cheap. We put a lot of, a lot of work into them. And a lot of that is the, the engineering goes into it and everything else. But yeah, this rifle came in cheaper than our, most of our rifles. And part of that is because we're able to uh, vertically integrate and produce a lot of those parts ourselves. And so we don't have to pay someone else to build a barrel. We can build it ourselves. Um, and so, you know, even though this is a way more feature rich rifle system than our, our uh, past rifles, it comes in less than, less than our other models. So, that's and that's and you didn't you know you didn't i say this like not in a bad way you didn't have to do that you guys no and, and you know be, i should say it again but like I, I i there was arguments you know both ways there it, it probably should have ended up with a, it, it would have been justified to price it higher hmm. um but you know aaron aaron's got he's he's a visionary he really is um 
a visionary and uh, the guy's 10 years out in his head. He's got every other model probably designed in his head already for the next 10 years. And so he knows where he's going with this thing. Yeah. Well, you know, the critic it's cheaper, so it must be less. Yeah. Right. Which is not the case after we shot it. Definitely not the case. Yeah. We, 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 uh, we tend to not get the memo in a lot of cases like this. We kind of, we kind of marched by the beat of our own drum, I guess. So it's like with the rangefinder. I think you could have sold that for a 17, $1,800. So, I mean, you guys, I, I appreciate it and the consumer should too. But so if you wanted to buy a, a barrel, with it, like a th- both barrels. How much is the barrel? I think the barrel is 13. Um, 13? And, you know, and, and that sounds high. You know, you go buy a proof and it's going to be 850 and then take it to Gunsmith and get chambered. It's probably pretty much right in there. Um, so. I had a recently listened to a podcast with Aaron. Does this say have the same guarantee if you shoot it out, you get it for 600? You know, that's a good question. I got to <laughs> check up on that. That might cha- break our... Uh, break our system there a little bit but yeah we used to do a, a rebarrel program on on all of our old rifles where uh we'll basically uh rebarrel the rifle for you for cost and so yeah i guess i guess that kind of with the barrels being available at at will we don't need to do that anymore for you smart all right dumb um, question real quick so you said 5300 was the base price? 5375 is the base price. Yeah. And is that for the the 65 PRC and the 300? No, PRC? just the rifle. Just, just the rifle. rifle. Yeah. And so then then additional barrels would be the I think it's 13 um, okay. for additional barrels beyond that. You Any- know, most of our rifles get a full package with an optic and everything else, but um, we'll certainly just sell the bare gun if you guys want it. And this will probably go out in a week. How what's your lead times? Right now, um, we are spooling up. Again, we're building all these parts, so we've got a little bit of a lead time there. Um, it's looking like probably end of summer for delivery on most of these, uh, or, or beginning delivery, I guess I say, depending on uh, how far down the down the line you are. But um, you know, we should be really up and running and cranking these things out in the next four months. I've, I'm seeing rifles on the shelf out there, but obviously we've got a lot of pre-orders and um, a lot of dealers getting in and getting some buys in. So. Um, you know, it, it's, it's not going to be quite as fast as we'd like to turn them around. They're, they're in pretty high demand right now, but um, mm. we are, we've got the guys running as fast as they possibly can to, to pump these things out. So. Well, the one that I won at that shoot. <laughs> oh, I see. I see. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what we can do. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to, we'll have to get one out to, out to you guys to, to do a demo. Yeah. It seems oh, like we absolutely. Probably didn't didn't I mean, get enough time with it out here. So. Um, any more questions from? I don't think so. Landon, I like I lied to you. I said 45 minutes. We're already like an hour seven, so I apologize. <laughs> I, I I talk too much, like I said. Tell your wife we're sorry that we kept you again. <laughs> All good. All good. Happy to happy to jump on with you guys. Well, we appreciate it, Landon, and we'll uh, talk to you soon. All right. Thanks.